Amen. Kids up through fifth grade are dismissed to go to your classrooms. Uh, if you're new with us and uh, you have a, a kid, fifth grade or under, you, that you want to walk them down to their classroom and then come back in, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, we have teachers walking down with the kids now, however. Um, so uh, that, as that is happening, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, we're going to be kind of going through Genesis 12 through, chapters 12 through 17 this morning. Uh, as you're turning there, I want to invite you, um, tomorrow evening, uh, we are going to be doing a test run for this uh, nativity project projection multimedia presentation thing that we're doing on the windows. I'm very nervous about tomorrow night. I'm just going to put all my cards on the table. We've been, uh, Pastor David, first of all, has been putting in unbelievable amount of hours, and so has Adam Crouch, the two of them. Um, have, yeah, so, pray, so let's thank them for all that they've done. And uh, so we talked about last week, and uh, uh, we talked about an announcements this morning. We're going to do a presentation of the story of Christ from creation to the cross and kind of emphasizing the Christmas story. So creation, Christmas, cross. How about that? I just thought of that right now. And... Uh, and uh, so they're going to drive up, and uh, they're going to be eight different. We have eight different projectors set up along facing the windows uh, from the inside and reversing the image. And I don't even understand how it all works out. And the timing of it has to be just right. And they're going to listen to the story of the gospel as you drive through and watch these videos on the screen. And so it takes a lot of, like, the timing to be just right. And also the instructions have to be very clear because if there's somebody in there who doesn't know what's going on, then they're going to mess up the timing for everyone else behind them. And so we know all these things are going to happen, so we're inviting you guys tomorrow night, six, in between 6.30 and 8, don't everyone show up at 6.30 and just overwhelm the whole thing, but at some point, if you want to come between 6.30 and 8 and drive through it, and then maybe kind of share uh, your feedback of how it worked, if it, if it worked for you, if it made sense, if there's something we need to do to make it more clear of what to do, but it's going to be a test run, A, to get the kinks worked out, and then B, for you to see it, and then more importantly, for you to be excited about it and invite people to come, invite your neighbors, invite friends, uh, co-workers, family members, etc., um, because we're going to be sharing the story of the gospel. And uh, so we're so excited about this. But so tomorrow night between 6.30 and 8, um, again, not all at once if you can help it, but, uh, and then just have grace and patience because it might be a complete disaster. We don't know. But we're going to get it eventually worked out by December 1st. But tomorrow night is our first. We haven't even tested it out of, of staff or anything else like that. So it's literally tomorrow night is the first test run. Um, and so show up if you would. Um, also, just want to say um, before we get started here, I'm really overwhelmed by um, just thankfulness to the Lord this morning. Uh, this is my uh, 200th time standing up here and preaching God's word to you, which is, I'm not, I'm not, no, 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 I'm not saying that for you to clap. I just, I'm just doing my job. Like, I'd get fired if I wasn't doing this, so that's not why I'm saying it. But, um, whole, but that's a, I, I did the math. That's uh, 7,000 minutes of me uh, up here preaching, give or take, and I don't even know if Emily has heard me just like talk for 7,000 minutes in our whole marriage, so, um, so some of you have had to listen to me for 7,000 minutes, and so sorry, others of you have had 7,000 minutes of naps over the past four years, so you should be very well rested. Um, Mark in the sound booth raising his hand for that one, but uh, I just, other, overwhelmingly, I just want to say I'm just so grateful to the Lord. Uh, for, it is an absolute privilege to preach 
preach the word. Um, and if it wasn't for the word man, I would have run out of things to say about 197 sermons ago. But it is God's word that not just me, not just when I preach either, when anyone at Rock Prairie preaches, it is preaching the truth of God's word. And we trust that God's word is going to work in our hearts. And so thankful for that. I just love my church family. I'm so thankful for uh, all of you and your encouragement to me. And uh, if you were here for my first Sunday with my knees knocking and my voice shaking, and uh, I had never preached two Sundays in a row before even coming here, and so you've just had so much grace for me. And so anyways, 200, and Lord willing, uh, there will be 2,000 more or so. I didn't do the math on that, but uh, give or take. So Emily said, yikes. Uh, I don't know. That might work out. Anyways, we're not going to get into that. Um, Let's pray. Uh, so I did decide that uh, now that I've preached 200 times, I'm going to start going an hour each week. So we do really need to get going. That was a joke. I'm not going to go an hour. Um, but we should probably pray and get started. So please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are, um, you are so good to us, God. Oh, our minds can't even fathom the gulf between how we deserve to be treated by the God of the universe and how we are treated by the God of the universe. And it's only because of your great love for us that we have been brought from enemies to sons and heirs of the kingdom. So we praise you, God, and we want to build our lives on that love. It is a firm foundation, and there is no other foundation by which we want to build our lives. And yet we try to, God, and we, we confess our sin of trying to build our lives on other foundations, money, of sex, of popularity, of success, of whatever it is, God. Forgive us. Help us to live our lives recognizing that all we have is Christ alone, Lord. So we look to your word this morning, and we just ask that your spirit would just pour out understanding and knowledge and heart change, God. Knowledge is worthless on its own. We need the spirit to transform our hearts, Lord. And if there's anyone in here with us this morning who doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day that they follow Jesus, make the best decision of their lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm not a big movie person, but if I do find myself watching a movie, I like to know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. I'm not into any of this nuance business, okay? I want the Toon Squad and the Monstars, right? And we know who to root for, okay? Or the Mighty Ducks and the Hawks. You can tell what kind of genre movie I, uh, I, I like by those examples. That, uh, but anyways, I, when you're reading the Old Testament, what you find is that there are not really any characters that fall into just like the good guys or the bad guys when we think about the main characters of the Old Testament. More often than not, what we find are people with very nuanced stories who can uh, be at one moment expressing just incredible faith 
and then at the very next moment, incredible disobedience. And our, the story this morning, the, the, the man's life that we're studying this morning kind of really exemplifies that to a T. We are continuing in our series about the family tree of Jesus le- leading up to Christmas. Last week, we talked about Adam, and this week, we're going to talk about the life of Abraham, and we're going to see a cycle in his life where God makes a promise to him, and then, God, and then Abraham is obedient, and then Abraham is disobedient, and then God makes a promise to him, and then he's obedient and disobedient. God makes a promise to him, he's obedient and disobedient, and that's the cycle that we're going to see, and what we're going to do when we look at the life of Abraham, and what we need to do when we look at the lives of these people in the Old Testament, it's not just to learn lessons for ourselves. What we need to do is see how do these characters point to Jesus, and then how do I live as a result of that? And that'll maybe make more sense as we get to the end of the sermon here this morning. But we need to look at this incredible life of this incredible man, Father Abraham, right? He had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. So are you. Let's praise the Lord. Right arm, right? Anyone has been part of this in vacation Bible school when you were a kid? Some of you are like, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. You're probably better off if that's you, honestly. But uh, th- we're going to look at the life of fa- Father Abraham. So hopefully you've turned to Genesis chapter 12, because Genesis 12 is a major turning point in the Torah in the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis 1 through 11, starting in Genesis 1, uh, the, the beginning of the universe. Uh, Genesis 1 through 11 tells the story of all of mankind, of how and why mankind was created, how they failed, how God then started all over with Noah, and then Noah failed, and then all the people are scattered all over the earth, right, Genesis? And then we're left at the end of Genesis 11 with the um, table of nations, the people of God are scattered all over, the, the people are, are scattered all over the earth by the Tower of Babel. And so by the time we get to Genesis chapter 12, there's a question that's laid before us. And it's a question that it takes the rest of the Bible to be able to answer. And I really want you to remember this. This is so key to understanding your Bible. I think we've talked about a little bit like, man, it's just hard sometimes. You, you, you have the New Testament, and then it seems like, what do I do with the Old Testament? Like, what, what is going on here? And we need to be very careful readers of the Old Testament to understand that the whole of the Bible is one unified story. It's all telling the same story about Jesus. And so Genesis chapter 12 asks, begs us to ask a question that it's going to take the rest of the Bible to answer. See, at the beginning of chap- Genesis chapter 12, as we've read, read Genesis 1 through 11, we're supposed to be thinking the earth is filled with people, but they're not worshiping God yet. God had commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with people who were were created in God's image to rule and reign with God and to bring glory to him. And then they failed. And then uh, Noah, the flood happens and God gives Noah the same command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then uh, by the time we get past the Tower of Babel, we see, well, the earth is filled, but these are not people who are glorifying God. And so the question question is, how is God going to take a world filled with rebels and turn them into the righteous? 
How is God going to take a world full of wickedness and turn them into worshipers? Those alliterations were not in my notes. I just made that up on the fly right now, and I'm feeling really proud of myself. Thank you. How is God going to do that? That's the question that the text begs us to answer. And this chapter gives us the first puzzle piece. It doesn't tell us the whole story, but it gives us a hint of what God's going to do. Look at uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And then here's the key part right here. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what's the plan? How is God going to take a world full of the wicked and turn them into worshipers? God has chosen someone. It's a dude. Abram is his name. Abraham, as we know him, his, voice, his name gets changed. Uh, but it's a guy. He's a guy who's just living with his people and worshiping false gods and doing what everyone else does. And God takes that guy and says, I'm going to turn you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And more importantly, all of the nations of the whole earth are going to be blessed through you. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If you have your Bible in front of you, underline that sentence. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If you're one of those people who doesn't like to make notes in your Bible, do it anyway. I don't care. If you've never made a note in your Bible, this is, the, this is a verse to underline. If the person sitting next to you is not underlining this verse in your Bible and their Bible and you have a pen, lean over and underline it for them. This is key, church. If you want to understand God's word, and like I said, the Old Testament can be super confusing if you just kind of randomly go at it. But if you want to have a baseline understanding of the overall story of the Bible, this is so key. God is going to use this family to bless the world. God is going to use this family, which right now is just a guy and his wife, and no kids. He's going to use them to bless all nations. So it starts with Abraham. Technically, Abram at this point. I'm just going to call him Abraham because I'm just going to mess him up, mess it up otherwise. But God promises Abraham that he would bless all the nations through his offspring. And at the beginning, it looks like God has made a good choice. This is a good, faithful man, uh, that uh, a good person to start a nation with. Look at verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an, offer, an altar uh, to the Lord who had appeared to him. We just skip down to verse 7. So we see Abraham has faith and obedience here. The beginning of the cycle. God makes a promise and Abraham just obeys. And this is remarkable and of all the sermons I've heard about Abraham in my life, like this is one of the key themes that uh, is preached about the life of Abraham. God told Abraham to go, right? He didn't tell him where to go. He didn't tell him where he was going to take him. He just said, go to the land that I'm eventually going to show you. And Abraham said, okay, great. And uh, he went. 
And uh, I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of sermons about how, you know, sometimes God doesn't give us the full picture. And uh, sometimes God needs, God tells you to go somewhere, but he doesn't say where, or you do something, but he doesn't tell you how, and you just need to have enough faith. When God tells you something, you need to do it. And uh, this is a good message, and this is, this is exactly right. In fact, uh, the author of Hebrews commends Abraham, Abraham for his faith in chapter 11, verse 8. He says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. This is amazing, right? If God uh, came to you and said, hey, go ahead and, uh, and order yourself a U-Haul, uh, you're going to pack up your stuff, and then I'm going to just give you, you know, Siri will give you the turn-by-turn directions, and uh, you're going to leave everything you've ever known, uh, so just go ahead and do it. It, it. That would take a lot of faith to uh, follow through. Um, Abraham's response is really epic faith. He just he does it. And uh, if God's calling you to do something like that, I don't know where you're at in your life, but if God's calling you to do something on faith, you need to obey in faith. And uh, Abraham deserves credit for that. Uh, however, what, what I, when, in all these sermons I've heard about Abraham, I don't really remember hearing what happened immediately after that. Look at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Um, he just leaves. <laughs> you notice that? He's, okay, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go to this land. He goes to this land. Famine, boop, I'm out. Heading to Egypt, right? I mean, he just, God didn't tell him to leave. He just leaves. And uh, then it gets worse. Verse 11, this is comical. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Sarai, you and I both know that I married up, way out of my league. I've uh, always appreciated that fact up until this point because now I fear it's going to cost you, uh, uh, me, my life. Uh, the fact that you are really, really ridiculously good looking. So uh, what I'm going to do is uh, pretend that you're my sister and then they'll be really happy with me and then you can go and they'll take you for their wife and that's how my life is going to be spared. I mean, just think about how far we've fallen from Abraham blindly. We're, we're three verses on. <laughs> From Abraham blindly following God, being obedient, being commended for that faith in the book of Hebrews. And yet then it just immediately leaves the land and then fears that uh, for his life. And so he cooks up this lie uh, about his wife being his sister. Imagine how frustrated God was. Like, I literally just left you in the land five seconds ago. I turn around, I come back, you're gone. And now this couple that's supposed to bless the whole world aren't even acting like they're married anymore. Like we're so far away from where we just were. Like I'm sure uh, God doesn't pull his hair out, but I would, right? Like you've got to be kidding me, Abraham. But God has made a promise to Abraham. And so he can't turn his back on his word. God is a God of his word. And so what does he do? He sends, we read out later on, he sends plagues on Egypt. Interesting, this, uh, the plagues in the Exodus is not the first time that God has sent plagues on 
Egypt. And so we might stop right here and ask, how's Abraham doing with the whole blessing the nations thing? How blessed are the nations feeling because of Abraham? Answer, not at all. Plagues. That's, I think, the exact opposite of blessing. You also might be thinking, because Pharaoh didn't do anything wrong here, right? He, he thought he was, took him at his word. He thought it was his sister. Pharaoh didn't do anything wrong. And you might be thinking, that's not fair that Pharaoh would have to suffer these consequences, the judgment of God, because of Abraham's disobedience. It doesn't seem very fair, does it? And that's a really good question. In fact, if you're wondering, why should an innocent person have to suffer because of God's promise to a guilty person? Well, that's actually a question that comes up later in your Bibles, spoiler alert. Um, that's a really good question to ask. But back to the story, Pharaoh finds out about what Abraham did and yells at him and, and sends him away. And then... Um, just for the sake of time, we're going to skip chapters 13 to 14, but you can read them this week in your quiet time and see what happens. We're going to go on to chapter 15. So we've seen the cycle one time now. We've seen the promise, obedience, disobedience. Now chapter 15, we're going to see the promise again. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So Abram's like, okay, God, like, I appreciate the words, but uh, can you back this up with some action here, is what he's saying to uh, the God of the universe. Um, Thanks for promising a great reward, but I don't have any kids yet, God. Don't know if you noticed that. And God, in incredible act of mercy, replies. Verse 4, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, meaning Eliezer, his servant, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them, which he is not. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. God tells him something that's hard to believe for an old man who has been uh, childless his whole life. He says, you're going to have a son, your own son. In fact, his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and Abraham believed God. He had faith, and that faith was counted to him as what? Righteousness. That's what faith is. It's believing what God says is true, even when it's hard to believe. It was hard for Abraham to believe that God was actually going to give him one son, much less offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. It hadn't happened yet. He had plenty of chances. And yet up to this point in Abraham's life, he had no children. But what Abraham does here is believe that God is going to bring about what he says, even though it was hard to believe that it would be so. And again, that's the kind of faith that we are called to have, church. Do you believe that God's promises are going to come true? 
To quote Hebrews, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is saying, I see my coworkers getting ahead because they're willing to lie and, and cheat and fudge the system, but I'm going to do what's right, even though it looks like it's costing me right now. Faith is saying, God promises to provide for me, so I'm going to choose not to be anxious, even if things don't look good right now. Faith is saying, I look around and see a world in which evil is rampant and the wicked are prospering, and yet I'm still going to choose to believe that God is in control. These are hard things to believe. You fill in the blank, whatever it is that God is calling you to believe in your life based on his word. Right? Sometimes we can just think things that we want to be true and say, well, that's what God's promise is for me. Well, it has to be in his word. But it's hard to believe sometimes. That's the kind of faith we're called to. And that's the kind of faith Abraham had for a little while. Actually, for a long while. For 10 years, Abraham believed. And uh, yeah, once again, he goes from faith to disobedience. Continue reading. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female, we're in chapter 16, by the way. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Okay, so let's pause right here. He just said, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So let's think back in our Bibles of everything that's happened before now. What does that look like with uh, somebody coming up with a plan, says it's good to do the opposite of what God says, and then a husband listening to his wife and going along with it? What does that sound like? Adam and Eve, right? We're exactly supposed to hear echoes of Adam and Eve in this. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Sarai. Adam took the fruit and ate as well. This is disobedience. It's what we're supposed to see. And Abram does what his wife told him to do. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. 10 years is a long time to wait for God's promise to come true. It would be profoundly tempting to look up at the stars in the sky every night, say, that's how many offspring I'm supposed to have. I have zero right now. Maybe God needs my help in this. Maybe God needs me to take matters into my own hands. That's the essence of fear and disobedience. As a child with Sarai's servant, he waited 10 years for God's promise to come true. And when he didn't, he took things into his own hands and he had a son with Sarai's servant. But this was not what God has, had promised. He promised Sarah a son. And when we get to chapter 17, we see that God still hasn't given up on his promise, even though he would have had every right to just start over with some other guy. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. 
No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, father of the nations. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. That's what Abraham means. So he goes on to promise, Abraham, even though you're 99 years old, a little bit past the childbearing years, you're going to have a son. And then the next year, God follows through on that promise. Sarah gave birth when Abraham was 100 years old, and Sarah approximately close to that age as well. That's pretty old to have a kid. We did not have any 100-year-old parents up here for baby dedication a little bit earlier this morning. God came through on his promise. And then next week, Pastor David's going to talk about another time when Abraham showed faith, when he obeyed God and offered to sacrifice that same uh, miracle son. Again, a tremendous act of faith. God finally comes through with the promise and then says, actually, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice this child to me. And uh, you're going to have to come back next week if you want to hear what happens. So when we look at the life of Abraham, we see a life of contradictions. We see times when he showed incredible faith, and when we, we see times when he showed incredible disobedience. But what we need to see, church, is that the promise of God to bless the nations didn't hinge on whether or not Abraham was faithful. God followed through in Abraham's obedience and despite Abraham's disobedience. Because many, many, many years later, there was a baby born in Bethlehem who would grow up to be the one who perfectly lived out that faith. And obedience. Jesus was the man who had perfect faith. He perfectly obeyed the Father. He didn't try out obedience for a little while and then when he didn't get what he thought he needed 10 years later to go and try something else. He was perfectly faithful and perfectly obedient his whole life. And ultimately, he was the one who fulfilled the promise to bless the nations. Jesus is the one through whom all the nations are blessed. Abraham didn't do it. Abraham did not fulfill that promise to bless all the nations. He failed, but Jesus didn't. He came as a light to the Gentiles and glory to Israel. He came that every nation, tribe, and tongue could one day worship around the throne. And not only that, but he came to do something in you that Abraham couldn't do himself. This is cool. So Abraham was a man, or Jesus was a man of faith and obedience so that you can have faith and obey. Because Jesus came, now through the power of the Spirit, you can have faith and obey. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but it does mean you have the ability in the Spirit to obey where you couldn't before. I'm reading a book right now uh, about the fruit on the fruit of the Spirit, and in the introduction, the author said something that I'd never really thought of before. He said this, the fruit of the Spirit isn't a to-do list. Say that again, the fruit of the Spirit isn't a to-do list. You know the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says it's not a a to-do list. It's not a list of things that you need to do. The fruit of the Spirit is a list of things that are done in us by the Spirit. It's the fruit that is born in your life by the Spirit working. You can't just manufacture the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that God does. He says this, 
in the, in the book I'm reading. Christ came down from heaven and was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, in grateful obedience, you may be those things for him. I love that. Because Jesus came, you can now be who you are meant to be. And you're still going to have those epic fail moments for sure, like Abraham did. You're still going to have your moments of going down to Egypt because you don't trust God will provide in a famine. You're going to still have your moments of saying, I've waited 10 years for God to come through. I'm taking matters into my own hands now. But in Christ, as the Holy Spirit works in your heart, he is going to transform you. He is going to change you. Can you trust that? Can you believe that promise? So as you read Galatians 5, and that's your homework this week, by the way, read the fruit of the Spirit, and then ask yourself, is this more true of me than it was last year, five years ago, ten years ago? However long you've been following Jesus, do I see the fruit of the Spirit manifest itself more in my life, even though I'm seeing also probably the ways I'm failing more in my life? But am I seeing more fruit? And if the answer is no, you need to ask the Lord, like, what do I need to do to allow you, God, to bring about that fruit in my life? Jesus came and was perfect faith and perfect obedience so that you can have faith and obey. And not only that, Jesus came as the one through whom the nations are blessed so that you can bless the nations and your neighbors too. You all underlined it, I hope, Genesis 12, 3. The whole point of God choosing Abraham was that the whole world would be blessed. Abraham failed miserably at this. And so did everyone who came after him until Jesus. And then Jesus came as a hope for all nations. And what was the first thing that Jesus told his disciples to do after he raised from the dead? Go to the nations. We should, we should know that one. What's the first thing that Jesus told his disciples to do after he raised from the dead? Go to the nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's, it's not a coincidence. Now, finally, because of Christ, we can live this promise out. So in Christ, we can be a blessing to the nations as well. And this is why it's, this is our mission statement. This is, this is the core. This is why the first sermon I ever preached here at Rock Prairie was about the importance of going to the nations. And if the Lord does give me 2,000 more sermons, I'm going to continue to preach and say the same thing. We got to go, church. We got to go. We got to get the gospel to places where people haven't heard. We've got to tell our neighbors who maybe grew up with either no church experience or a completely warped understanding of the gospel. We've got to explain to them patiently and lovingly and, and sowing seed and trusting that the Lord is going to bring it to fruition and say, this is why this is such good news. We've got to go. We've got to, we got to go. That's what God has told us to do. God was faithful to Abraham even though Abraham was unfaithful. And ultimately, God sent his son to do what neither Abraham nor anyone else could do. And now, church, we stand here. We are so blessed to stand here on this side of the cross, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt by the power of God. Oh, who needs to know that this morning? You have the full power of God indwelling you by the Spirit. 
And boy, do we fail to live up to that <laughs> every day. But the, that same spirit that indwells you is bringing about obedience in your heart like a harvest. So let him. Don't shut him out. When the Spirit speaks to you and pricks your conscience and say, that's not how you should speak. That's not what you should look at. That's not what you should do. That's not how you should respond. Am I going to ignore it? Or am I going to invite that fruit in my life? You are indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit to be obedient and then not to keep that to yourself. Oh, church, you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. You shine your light for all to see. So allow the Spirit to work in your heart. Allow the Spirit to compel you to go and bring the gospel to the nations and to your neighbors. Let's pray and ask God for help in that. Heavenly Father, God, we need you just so desperately. how quickly we forget the unspeakable glories that are true of each one of us, created in your image, and then redeemed at the cost of your son, and then given the, the spirit. And yet we too often just go and live our lives like there's just nothing different about us. Forgive us, God. May we live our lives not as uh, in, in guilt, trying to pay you back for what you've done, but in glory, trying to share the good news of what you've done and becoming more and more like Jesus as the Spirit brings about fruit in our lives. May we be a people who exemplify love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because against these things, God, there is no law, we pray. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.